Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Trevor, if you're new here this morning, or maybe you haven't been able to, uh, we haven't been able to meet yet. Uh, I am one of the pastors here, and I'm really, really excited to uh, be sharing with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Blaine is, as Blake mentioned, on his way to Africa with a couple other of our church members, and uh, they get to go and be with uh, the people in Africa and to share the gospel, and so um, what an awesome opportunity that is. So you're stuck with me this morning, uh, but I'm really excited. We're starting a new series called Uncertainty uh, about doubt. Everyone has real doubt and how uh, that can, can be a catalyst to real faith. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, the next couple weeks, I'll be with you. Um, I would like to just go ahead and jump into John chapter 20, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God, we're, we're thankful for the opportunity to read your word this morning, and God, just teach us uh, how, how to have a stronger faith um, and to understand um, our questions and the doubts that we have you're not afraid of, and that um, we can approach your throne with those, and you give peace and you give comfort. Uh, God, guide us in our hearts this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was sent an article this week by a friend about uh, a bunch of historical facts that were unbelievable. Uh, And normally, whenever I read an article online, I I take it with a grain of salt, obviously, because there's some things you read online not exactly true. But this article was very interesting. There were two facts in there that uh, I thought were quite uh, hysterical, but also unbelievable. Uh, Napoleon, he was the emperor to France in the early 1800s. Uh, one time, he arranged a rabbit hunt. Maybe you've heard this before. He arranged a rabbit hunt. And so he had his chief of staff and, and a bunch of his men go in and collect 3,000 rabbits. 3,000 for a rabbit hunt. And in the moment of, of they're, they're ready, they're probably, they have all of their, their things that they need and, and they're excited and, and they release the rabbits And as you imagine, they probably just scurried and and ran away. No, that's not what happened. They all charged, all 3,000 of them charged directly at Napoleon and his men in an onslaught and a vicious attack. (laughs) 3,000, can you imagine? Like if if you have fears, like the list, like that's towards the top. 3,000 rabbits. 
Now, obviously, I, I read this and I thought, there, there is no way that that's true. There's no way. And so, as a historian, uh, I went on a rabbit hunt, pun intended, to figure out if this was true. It's true. There's so, like, this actually happened. I looked at sources and I tried to find whether or not there was attestation to this event occurring. And there's multiple sources that confirm, like, this actually happened. And I was like, no way. Like, I studied history for, for uh, in my undergraduate program. I was a teacher for th- five years. I taught history. I never heard this in my life. Let me give you another one. Abraham Lincoln is in the Oklahoma Wrestling Hall of Fame. You're laughing. It's true. It is true. He's like 6'4", probably 94 pounds soaking wet. Like this guy apparently is an elite fighter. 300 matches. He lost one. How awesome is it to be the guy that be like, hey, I'm that guy. I beat Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. I studied Abraham Lincoln for a long time. I never heard he could fight, but apparently he can. I checked sources, right, as a good historian. I, I went on a, on a search to find out, is this actually true? And sources, attestation show, like, this is actually true. He's in the Oklahoma Wrestling Hall of Fame. Unbelievable, right? But I, my response to both of those headlines when I read those, the first thing I thought was not like, oh, yeah, that's got to be true. No, the first thing I thought was doubt. I doubted that that could possibly be true. And there's probably a lot of you in here this morning who uh, might have that same approach to Scripture, I mean, we're talking about snakes talk, right? We're talking about 5,000 people get fed with just a couple fish and loaves. Somebody, a couple people raised from the dead, right? Like there's a lot of things in God's word that might seem on the surface that they're unbelievable. But the beauty about God is that he is the creator of all of nature and natural law. And so if he created it, surely he can bend the rules a few times to make miracles happen. And so I'm really, really excited about this series because I want to walk through, uh, first today we're going to talk about Thomas, and I want to walk through what is doubt. And maybe even I want to give you a better uh, mindset towards doubt, a radically new way of approaching doubt that I think will be helpful for you individually, but also as a church collectively, as people have questions and skepticisms about the faith. How do we approach those? How do we deal with those? So doubt, what is doubt? Doubt is simply a gap in your overall understanding of something. Very simply, doubt represents a gap in your overall understanding of something. Truth exists. We don't define truth. Truth is, uh, is, is by nature who God is and his nature and his revelation to us. That is truth. And we only have a partial understanding of that. And our attempt as people is to reconcile what we know with what we do not know. It's our attempt to reconcile what we know with what we do not know. That is doubt. That's doubt. It's uncertainty. Doubt is uncertainty. But I want to encourage you this morning 
that you're not alone if you've ever doubted. In fact, I would argue, if I, if I asked you to raise your hand, if you've ever had a doubt about the Christian faith or about the Bible, I would guess everybody would raise their hand. Everybody has faced some sort of a question or a doubt about the faith. And sometimes I think we're scared of those things. Uh, but Thomas uh, is a great example of what Jesus, how Jesus approaches people with doubt. And so I can't wait to look at that uh, this morning. But I wanted, to, I wanted to show you where does doubt originate. Genesis 3, verse 1, says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say? Do you see what Satan did here? He planted a seed of doubt in humanity's brain. He planted it. And this is, what God, this is what Satan does in our lives. He tries to convince you that God is not near to you, that he's not a personal being, and he doesn't care about you. And he wants you to question whether or not God's promises are true and his provision is real in your life. And I think through the experiences that we have, we start to encounter, regardless of how long we've been a Christian. Some of you in this room have been a Christian for your, almost your whole life, a really long time. Some of you may be a new Christian. Some of you, you might be in this room this morning and you're not a Christian and you're just here checking it out. Uh, and maybe you're a little nervous coming in this morning. I just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, and, and God is not afraid of our doubt, regardless of where we are in our faith journey. We are called to be seekers of truth, and we're not, we don't have everything figured out, right? Uh, in fact, God intended that to be so, right? When God made the tree with the fruit and said, don't eat of this fruit, Satan tried to tempt, did God actually say, because if you eat this fruit, you can know everything that God knows. No, God intended for us to have revelation of himself at which he revealed to us through his word, through, his, through nature, and that's all that he did. And the rest of it, which by the way, he still gives evidence for us to believe, but he asks us to have faith in him. Hebrews 11.1 1 says uh, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want to posit to you this morning, however, that we don't believe on blind faith. God gives us evidence of his presence, of his provision, and his promise every single day and through all of the characters in Scripture. So why do we have doubts? Why do we have doubts? I could think of many different reasons. One of them could be maybe we have questions that we just can't answer. There's just things that we just can't wrap our minds around. I think about if, if we could wrap our minds around everything that God created and all that he is and his purposes and his will, God would not be that much of a God, right? No, we serve a God that is so much bigger than we could ever even imagine. And to know everything that God would know would probably not be good for us. Maybe we have situations in our life or we notice situations in our life that are unfair. Maybe that's why we have doubts. Maybe we see someone that 
uh, good things are happening to people that are just living a very sinful life, or maybe uh, you, you see bad things happening to someone that is, seems like they're doing, you know, they're being as faithful as they can, or maybe you've prayed something and, and God did not answer it in the way that you thought, and so you're like, God, did you, do you actually even love me? Do you care? Do you want to provide for me? And so maybe, maybe it's because we situations seem unfair, and that's why we don't. We, maybe we have doubts. Or maybe there's hurts that we just can't resolve. Maybe we've been hurt, uh, experiences in our lives that have caused pain. Maybe, maybe it's the church. In fact, a lot of people leave the church because they were hurt by the church. To be honest, church, sometimes we're not really very helpful in people's doubts. Uh, to say that, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Uh, is really simple and showcases faith, but at the same time, people, like we live in a really complicated world and people have questions. People have worries and people need help understanding as much as we can provide. And so there needs to be mercy given. Jude 22 says, have mercy on those who doubt. So this morning, I wanna look at Thomas. I wanna study Thomas and do a little character study. Uh, and learn a a little bit about his doubt. Uh, Let's read from John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So Thomas, he's one of the 12. He's one of the 12 disciples. He got to experience Jesus's ministry. He got to see his miracles. He got to witness all of the greatness of his teaching and the things that he had accomplished. And his name was the twin. In Greek, uh, the Greek word is didymus. Maybe some of your translations say that, uh, which is the Greek word for twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples uh, witnessed Jesus after his resurrection. Thirteen times Jesus appeared to people after he resurrected from the dead. Thirteen post-resurrection appearances. That's a lot of times. Over 500 people witnessed the person of Jesus standing in front of them after he was crucified, and then later, three days later, when the grave was empty, right? Over 500 witnesses. It's one of the greatest apologetic uh, arguments to attest to the truth of his resurrection. Over five, that's like twice as many people, maybe not, I don't know how many people are in here, there's a lot of you, but uh, 500 people, I think it's more than we have in here right now, right? That's a lot of people that are attesting to the truth that he stood in front of them and showed himself to them. But here, Thomas was not with the disciples the first time when Jesus appeared to them. There's not really any indication why, but he wasn't. Uh, Continuing on, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This is where Thomas gets his uh, nickname. Help me out. What is it? Doubting Thomas. But can 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 I dignify Thomas a little bit this morning? I think he gets a bad rap. Uh, I think that it's a little unfair. Uh, let's look at the whole picture of Thomas. Let's, let's look at uh, John eleven fourteen 14 through 16. Lazarus just died. And Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I go to wake him up. The disciples are really confused about this. They're like, Jesus, like he'll, he'll, he'll recover. He'll be fine. 
He's, he's just asleep. But no, Jesus was saying, no, he, he, like, he died. And I'm going to go and to meet him and to be with him. And so this is what he says in verse 14. Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. That's not fear. That's courage. That's boldness. That's faith. Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Faithful. He's like, I'll go to my death to be with you, Jesus. There's another passage in John 14. Jesus describes a house with many rooms, this mansion, and it's going to be a place that he's preparing for us. It's very encouraging. And and Thomas is like, Jesus, I want to be a part of that. That sounds awesome. Verse 5 says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? I think Thomas is just a thinking person. He's just... He's just a reasonable person. He's asking questions. He wants to know desperately, Jesus, I want to know how can I inherit the kingdom of God? What is the way? And this is where Jesus famously in verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And in that moment, the disciples, all of them, as you might be aware, are not super brave and bold in their faith, but they are confused, right? They don't understand. Uh, But Jesus is telling them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But Thomas, he's like, I want want to be a part of that. Show me the way. And then if you know anything about uh, the disciples and after, at the end of their life, Tradition says, says that Thomas was martyred for his faith in India about 40 years after Jesus died and rose. He, was, he took a spear through the stomach because he would not give up the lordship of Christ. He died saying, Jesus is Lord. Now, I want to return back to John 20, 24, sorry. Thomas had a moment where he was struggling. He had a moment. He had four days at least, right? Jesus died. They witnessed it for three days. He rose again. And then afterwards, sometime afterwards, it doesn't say in Scripture how long that was, but sometime afterward, afterward, Thomas finally got to meet Jesus. But the disciples did first. And so that time period, four or five days had elapsed before Jesus had made himself known to the disciples. And when Jesus made himself known to the disciples, the disciples had to tell Thomas, Thomas, you're not going to believe this. He's here. But four or five days without Jesus could probably take a toll on you spiritually. Four or five days and... Satan has a lot of time to develop within us doubts about whether Jesus is who he is and who he said he is and and doubts about whether or not we can believe in God's word that it's true or that faith and science could be reconciled together or or any, any doubt that you might have four or five days, and that's probably just minimum. How, how many days has it been for you, maybe? since you've communed with Jesus. 
I think a lot of people have doubt because they're not spending time in the presence of Jesus. They're not communing with him and being encouraged by God's word. And so it's moments that we feel that fear and anxiety that oftentimes it's because either we're, we're stuck in sin or we're not approaching the throne. So I want to encourage you that the, the best way to strengthen your faith is to draw nearer to the Lord. And notice that Thomas, he made a mistake here. He did not go to Jesus. Jesus had to come to him. Jesus wants to meet you where you are with your questions and your faith he, and your doubt. He wants to meet you where you are, and he wants to help you. Your doubts do not disqualify your faith. Doubt is simply a part of the process of faith. The questions that you have, they're not the boogeyman. They're not, they're not a monster to be scared of. They're, they're a part of the process of us understanding more about who God is and his revelation to us and how we can draw nearer to him. Tim Keller says in his book, The Reason for God, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. Oswald Chambers says, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he's thinking. I think that's strong, right? And so I, th I think sometimes we have this fear within us that when we have questions, there's something wrong with us, that our faith, there's something wrong with our faith. But I want, I want to encourage you this morning. I was, I was in high school, and I, I went to South Heights Free Will Baptist Church in Searcy, Arkansas. That's where I grew up, uh, and went to church. And uh, for a long time, we had youth there. Uh, that would go uh, to church pretty regularly. But by the time it was, you know, sophomore, junior, senior in high school, I was about the only one left. I don't think it was my fault. I don't think I ran them off, uh, just so you know. Uh, but uh, I was, for, for two or three years, I had to get in my car on Sunday morning, drive to church by myself, and go and be in a church where I was probably the youngest person by 30 or 40 years. And the reason why is because I wanted to be faithful Right? I wanted to be faithful to the church, but I also I had, I, I had questions. I, I wanted to know truth really, really badly. And I knew that these people that I had been with my entire life, they care. They want to be able to help me. But I was scared to share the questions and the doubts that I had about my faith. It was, it was a pride thing, I think. Because I, I didn't want to think, I didn't want those people to think, oh, he's struggling. Oh, he's got doubts, and he, he doesn't have it figured out. I thought that I had to have it all figured out, and so I, I just ignored him, and I, ne I never shared them. And then I went to college. I went to a Bible college. My freshman year, I struggled again. Guess what? Those doubts, they never went away. They stayed there. And I'm at, y'all, I'm at Bible college, right? Like, everybody's got it figured out, right? I'm, I'm not supposed to be asking questions that would be embarrassing. And so for several weeks, starting out my freshman year, I, I didn't ask questions. I didn't try to figure out answers to the questions that I had about faith. And it was fear and anxiety and worry that just overwhelmed me. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. There's doubts that you have. Your heart is just heavy 
because you're just not sure. You don't have answers. Can I tell you that the, <laughs> ignoring them is not going to fix the problem? In fact, that's one of two unhealthy approaches to your responses to doubt. Before I get to those, Thomas, he made a critical mistake when he said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas, you don't define truth. Just because you don't experience something yourself does not mean that it's not true. Church, we cannot be a people in 2023 who define our own truth. Just because you don't experience something doesn't make it true. Sometimes in our lives, we don't experience the presence of God as strongly as maybe the person next to us. That doesn't mean that God is not near to you. He's waiting for you to draw close to him with open arms, with mercy, with love, with compassion, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Thomas made a critical mistake there. He had a presupposition. He stuck on it, and he was not going to let it go until he saw for his own eyes. Church, can I, can I be real with you for a second? We're not seeing Jesus with our own eyes until he returns. And so for us, we have to have faith in the promise and the provision that God has already, dis, already displayed to us in his word and in our lives and in our hearts. That's how, faith is, the, is how we get rid of doubt, is to have faith. Now, I want to look at two unhealthy responses to doubt. Number one is that we dramatically concede to it. This is an extreme, right? We dramatically concede to it. Maybe you're in class. I had someone come up to me just before service. So they're learning about evolution in science. And so... Maybe it, we hear something about natural selection and, uh, and the evolutionary process. And we start to question, like, can, can my faith in science, can they, can they, can, can they go together? And, and is evolution a real thing? Is creation? Or how does it work? And who's telling me the truth? And it's, sometimes it can be very difficult for us to be able to understand truth. And the worst thing that you can do is to forget about your convictions and the beliefs that you've held for your entire life just because you have this one singular question. It's like playing the game of Jenga. Anybody play Jenga? Who likes Jenga? Yeah? I don't really actually like Jenga. There's like four hands. Jenga's not a fun game. If I had a stack of Jenga blocks standing up here and we were halfway through the game, it would be like one question and we're going for one of the ones that is going to just topple the tower, right? And we just act like this, that our faith is like this Jenga block where we pull this block and all of a sudden we just give up and, and it just destroys us. And there's nothing more depressing and humiliating than when that sound of blocks just falls. And it's like, you know, a tumbling of blocks, but it sounds like you're a loser. Uh, it's really horrible. We cannot just allow ourselves to treat our faith like a Jenga tower where we just pull one, one challenge shows up and all of a sudden we just, we just cripple. No, we're not, we cannot dramatically concede to doubt. We, we can't make doubt a much bigger deal than it actually is and give it more significance than it actually deserves. The second 
unhealthy response to doubt is to apathetically cover over it. This is what I did when I was in high school, early college. I just ignored it. I just act like it wasn't a real thing. This response is to diminish or ignore your doubt. This response makes your questions and doubts a much smaller deal than they actually are. Imagine with me for a moment, maybe some parents can vouch for this, but uh, my three-year-old son one night was very scared that there was a monster in his closet. He was very, very fearful. Now imagine me as a dad if I just said, hey, Brooks, no, no monster in your closet. You're all good. Just go to bed. I'll see you in the morning. Like, okay, seems comforting, but all I have to do is just walk him to the closet, open the door, and look inside and show him, hey, there's no monster in the closet, right? Some of us are treating our doubt like a monster in the closet. And, and, it, and imagine like Brooks laying in bed after I did not show him anything that, show him the closet that it was empty, the fear and the, the worry that this monster was going to get him in his sleep. For many of you, you have questions. The worst thing that you can do is just to act like they don't exist. The best thing that you can do is to go and look in the closet. They're not as scary as they may seem. In fact, 2,000 years have passed since the Gospels have been written. And I could probably imagine most of the questions and the skepticisms Uh, the concerns that we might feel have probably already been addressed at some point in 2,000 years. I mean, that's a lot of time. And so for us to, to apathetically cover over it and to be scared of what might be on the other side of those questions is not a healthy way to deal with those questions. We have to address it. The healthy approach would you be to give uh, treat doubt with appropriate respect, thoughtfulness, and constraint, and to engage it accordingly. So what does that look like? Jesus shows us in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Listen to the way that Thomas addresses and handles Thomas's doubt. Sorry, the way Jesus addresses and handles Thomas's doubt. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't say, hey, don't bring those questions here because they're scary. Or he doesn't ridicule him. He doesn't, he's not mad at Thomas. He welcomes him. Jesus welcomes doubters. He challenges their doubt. He welcomes questions and skepticisms and says, no, no, no. I understand that you're having trouble, but look at this. He doesn't leave Thomas just sitting there wondering. He gives evidence. And that's one of the most encouraging things about my walk and and, and my journey as a Christian is I got so interested 
in apologetics and learning defenses for the Christian faith because of my doubt that I had when I was a senior and a, a freshman in college. And I, I wanted to have answers, and I was so burdened for that that I, I decided, you know, I want to help other people. And so I went to school for that, and so, you know, I, I'm really got a lot of books that I bought that didn't read all the pages because who has time for that? No, I'm just kidding. But I, got, I did a lot of work, and I wanted to have answers. But can I tell you this morning that you're never, never going to have all the answers. You don't graduate faith. That doesn't happen. You don't get an MA in faith. You don't get a PhD in faith. There will always be questions because God has only given us revelation to a certain point, but God's word is sufficient for us to know who he is and what he's done and what he's done through the cross. Now, really quickly, I want to give you a few uh, uh, examples of what a healthy response to doubt looks like. The first one is to doubt your doubts. What this means is, is when you have a question or, or a doubt pops up in your mind, you don't immediately concede to it. And in turn, you actually, you doubt that that could even be true. It's a much healthier way of dealing with the doubt and questions that you have. It's to doubt your doubts, to question your questions, to be skeptical of your skepticism. By doing this, you are holding your current convictions, beliefs, and experiences above those things. Thomas doesn't do a great job of this. He immediately conceded to unbelief. He should have considered, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I give up my pride. Maybe I'm wrong. The second one, the second, unhealth, uh, second healthy response to doubt is to deliver your doubt to Jesus. To approach the throne and say, God, I'm struggling. I've got some doubt. I've got some questions. I'm not sure that my faith is as strong as I want it to be. Give it to Jesus, because what Jesus does is say, peace be with you. Have peace, right? Peace is found only in the person that it originates. God is the author of peace, and he gives peace. James, in James 1, it talks about if, if, if you want to have faith, you have to ask. If you want to have wisdom, you have to ask in faith, right? If you want to have wisdom, you have to ask in faith. But it, Jesus doesn't ask us to have it all figured out. Just deliver your doubt to Jesus. And the third one would be, the third healthy approach, to dispel doubt with evidence. After Jesus says, peace be with you, he then goes on to, and proceeds to give him reasons to believe in the hope that he has in Christ. Reasons to believe that all the things that Jesus had promised and all the things that were true in the ministry of his life and all of his teachings, that if he would just, here, look at my hands. Look, look at my side where they pierced the, the spear through my side. Look at what had happened to me. And all of a sudden, Thomas, when he encounters Jesus and he sees evidence for his faith and he's, he understands that Jesus gives hope, he says, my Lord and my God, he surrenders before God and just says, you are Lord. You are my God. 
Now, evidence is not always the answer to faith. Helping, giving people evidence and arguments about faith is never going to win someone to Jesus. The work of salvation is the power of God. It's through the Holy Spirit who softens hearts and brings salvation, not us. And so sometimes I think that we get really excited about arguments and evidence, and, and all of a sudden we forget about the fact that we don't save. God does. And so some of us plant, some of us water, but God brings the harvest. And so in the, in the, in the process of evangelism and sharing the gospel, you should be ready for the moments when they're going to have questions. And there's going to be moments where you're going to have to help them and disciple them and to walk them through those doubts that they're going to have. That's the full picture of disciple making. It's not just sharing God's, God's word and God's love and, and Jesus. While that is certainly a very important component, and we should all be about that mission, it's all of the, the, the journey that follows that we have to be committed to as well. And that's what we as a church believe. We're for the River Valley. We want people to be able to find and follow Jesus. Not just find, but follow and so as a church, that, that's something that we, we truly care about. Now, let me just say this really quickly. This is really, really important. Sometimes I worry that maybe churches uh, or Christian environments in general do not handle doubt properly. Sometimes we are a little cold to people that have questions. We're a little bit uh, standoffish, and, and maybe people don't feel welcome to ask the questions that they have because they're worried about what you might think of them. Sometimes it's not anything that we did, right? It's just the fear and the, the pride that someone has in their own mind and heart. But as a church, we have to be a church that is welcoming doubters, welcoming people with questions. Parents, listen, it's not time to panic. There probably is a day where your kids are going to have questions, a lot of questions, Annoying questions. That's where mine's at, three years old. But real questions, like real sincere questions. It's not time to panic. It is their process for seeing if they can make your faith their faith. It's, it's their processing. Now, parents, listen, I, I understand. Sometimes we can be a little bit hypocritical, right? So sometimes those questions are from a sincere place. They're wondering, why are these two things not adding up? right? It's why we are called to be holy and faithful, because the biggest influence on a child's life and their walk with Christ is the way that you walk. It's not time to panic. It's a time for you to help them process the questions that they have and to walk them through, because at the end of the day, your doubts, their doubts when handled properly, can actually be a catalyst to a stronger faith. Some people worry that doubts are, are, that's what leads to a weak faith. No, I think God uses our doubt to strengthen our faith. And so that's my encouragement to you this morning, is that you wouldn't be scared of the questions that people have. But we would be a church that welcomes that. And, and when people come in, maybe you're here this morning and, and you're not, you don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe that God's word is true. Thank you for being here. We, we understand that can be difficult. 
And, and it's hard sometimes to comprehend the purposes and the will of God. And, and we want you to be able to understand more about God's word. But we also know that we don't have all the answers and we don't wanna act like it. And there is a level of faith that God calls us to, to trust in him. I'm gonna ask Chris to go ahead and, and come up. In verse 29, Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Again, we, are, we don't get to see Jesus in, in his incarnate state. We do not get to experience him right in front of us. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. When I was seeking after truth, I felt like I was so distant from God. I felt like I was so far away and that God was not near and God would not want to handle my questions. God would not want to handle all of the baggage that I had going on with my sinful life, which by the way, sin is a faith crusher. It's Satan's way of, it's your way of contributing to Satan's purposes of separating you from God and and making you have doubts and questions. But God can use your doubt to draw him closer to him. And if there's any proof that I could give you this morning, it would be the transformation of your heart and the transformation of your life as a result of surrendering to Christ. That is my story as a Christ follower, is that when I surrendered to Jesus, there were moments of valleys, there were moments of of mountains, but not every moment is going to be just awesome. There are some moments where just Satan is gonna try to, to place doubt like a seed in your mind and to separate you from God. It's your response in that moment that's very, very important because doubt is not necessarily sinful. It's your response to it that can be. God is not afraid of your doubts. But James 1 says that if, if you doubt, you are like one that is tossed by the wind. So he's called us to a faith and a trust in him and his resurrection because that is his provision for us, his promise. If you're ever needing encouragement, just think about all of the times God has made promises to you and they've come true. Or think about all the times in God's word where he made promises to the people of Israel and they were fulfilled. Don't forget about all of the moments in your life where God has been faithful for you when you have those moments of struggle and doubt. And I think that one of the healthy ways to to approach and response to your doubts is to just give them to give them to Jesus. And so I, I just want to welcome you and invite you just for a moment while Chris sings. If there's something you're battling, come and give it to Jesus. If there's a question that you have, before asking for it to be answered, just come and give it to Jesus. If there's a struggle with sin that you have, come to give it to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is the one that provides and gives us hope. If you need help finding or taking your next step, 
send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.